You're listening to Meet the RIA. In this special podcast edition of the show, you'll get expert insight from some of the top registered investment advisors in the country. Here's your host, Jenna Dagenhart, and today's special guest, Barry Riddles, chairman and CIO of Riddles Wealth Management. Barry, looking back on the first half of this unprecedented year with the coronavirus pandemic, what strikes you the most about the markets? Well, some of the sentiment um, perspectives and and some of the things that investors seem shocked about uh, was, I guess we shouldn't be surprised at investor bad behavior, but it continues to have the ability to shock and amaze people. The history of markets are a series of things that have never happened before. Unprecedented events happen all the time. And, And even though this particular meteor that hit us from out of space might have been unprecedented, you could go back through the past century and see all these things that took place, whether it was Pearl Harbor or 9-11 or the JFK assassination, go down a list of stuff. Wow, this was unprecedented. The takeaway is unprecedented things occur all the time and they really confound investors. Why is there such a disconnect here between stocks and the economy? Well, first of all, there's always been a historical disconnect between stocks and the economy. You go back and you look at a correlation in real time or even giving stock markets a a lead, and there isn't a very robust correlation. Sometimes the market seems to lead the economy. Sometimes they go their own separate ways. It's hard to make any, any firm, fast rules about it. That said, there is a bias that the typical investor has. It's called the home country bias. We tend to be overweight, uh, and this is true wherever you are in the world, you tend to be overweight the stocks of your home country, primarily because you're most familiar with those companies, their products, their executives. In the United States, not only do we have a home country bias, you have a home region bias. If you're on the West Coast, you tend to be more heavily exposed to tech stocks, In the heartland, you're more exposed to manufacturing and and industry. And if you're on the East Coast, you tend to be more exposed to finance, um, banks, Wall Street, et cetera. So the home country bias is, is even stronger depending on the region you are in the U.S. So when the average American looks around and looks at the economy, they see a pandemic that has just, you know, shut the economy down at one point in time. The Atlanta Fed GDP now forecast, um, it actually is a real-time prediction of the state of uh, quarterly uh, GDP. Was it minus 50%? The economy has been cut in half, essentially, uh, for that, at that, that week for that quarter. Um, and you look at how poorly we've managed the pandemic and now how poorly we've managed the reopenings. And people just assume, well, if the economy is doing poorly and our handling of this crisis is poorly, why isn't the stock market doing poorly? And so my most recent analysis, we looked at what's driving the market and why. So since 2015, two-thirds of the gains in the S&P 500 have been driven by just six stocks, the biggest tech companies, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, Google, and Microsoft. And not surprisingly, those big companies get the majority of their revenue from overseas. The rest of the world seems to be 
managing the pandemic better than, than we are. There are some bad spots. Um, uh, like Sweden hasn't done especially well, but when you look at Germany and South Korea and Japan, they're doing really well. Italy is recovering. Spain is recovering. These are the regions that these big tech companies are selling into. But these are U.S. companies, Microsoft plus the FANG stocks, as you mentioned, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. They're U.S. companies, but they're not getting much U.S. help, as you say. That's right. They're, they're getting half or less than half of their revenue from the U.S., most of their revenue overseas. The one exception in the FANG group is Amazon, and I challenge people to find a company better situated to take advantage of the bungled reopening and the lockdown in the U.S. than Amazon. Between Amazon Web Services and Whole Foods and their logistical brilliance of delivering everything to everybody, Amazon has done really well during the lockdown. And so we tend to look too locally when we look at the state of the economy. Not, not only should we be thinking nationally, we should be thinking globally. And not that that justifies a 58% move off of the lows. That's what the NASDAQ composite has done. Um, but it at least puts some flesh on the bones as to why have these companies been doing so much better than every other company. Yeah, you made a good point there, Barry. Do you think that the tech-heavy NASDAQ has gone too far? Do you think that that's too optimistic? Or what's your outlook for big tech moving forward? So the trend that's in place is likely to continue to, to uh, it, its previous trends. Um, my head of research is Michael Batnick, and he has heard a lot of people talk about this is just like the dot-com bubble. And he compared the two, and the dot-com bubble markets had run seven times as much over the past five years as they have from 2015 to 2020. So when we look at, at 1995 to 2000, that's a much, much um, more robust bubble than 2015 to 20. It, by an order of magnitude, it's like 7x. It's, it's, they're not really comparable. And yet, for a lot of people, every time they see tech stocks going higher, they just scream, dot-com, this is going to blow up. Back then, we were, we were valuing companies at 100 times earnings, assuming they even had earnings. Some, so many of these companies had no profits whatsoever. We had to count clicks and eyeballs and all these made-up uh, metrics in order to put a valuation on it. Today, when you look at those fan companies, when you look at these big company tech companies, they're profitable as hell. Their revenues are amazing. Their growth rate is strong. And by the way, most of those companies, their growth rate is much stronger overseas than they are here in the United States, which is a fairly mature economy. And so if we only look in our own backyards and we don't think globally, it creates a false impression of the world. And even if there's a second wave and and who knows what happens next with the coronavirus pandemic, these companies are still well positioned for the coronavirus pandemic. It, it certainly seems that way. And, you know, I remember in the 2003 Iraq war when there would be some terrible news would come out and the market would immediately dive two, three, four percent. Uh, and then, you know, a mosque would be blown up or some, you know, some other tragic thing would happen. 
And in the beginning of the war, the markets were really sensitive to every headline. And then after a couple of weeks, you just get desensitized and traders, it's not that they don't care, it's that the ability to shock the market fades pretty rapidly. Well, Barry, thank you so much for your time. Really great to have you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Meet the RIA. Visit AssetTV.com for more financial news and information. And be sure to check out our other episodes of the Meet the RIA podcast. This is Asset TV.